This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Hello and welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Cheryl Coleman. And we join you here live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every Thursday from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, and we are replayed throughout the week. And I'd love to welcome Josh Burson, who is principal and founder of Burson by Deloitte. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So, Josh, you, you just came out with this, this report. Um, tell us a little more about what some of the key takeaways are. And I think we, in our segment, we're going to focus on inclusion. And Nick, I want to go ahead and give the the kind of uh, subtitle in this. This is the Deloitte Millennial Survey 2017, Apprehensive Millennials Seeking Stability and Opportunities in an Uncertain World. Well, that's ominous. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very intimidating finding. (laughs) So Josh, what are some of your high-level takeaways in the report? Well, there's there's really two pieces of research you did. One was the millennial study, which I'll touch on in a minute, and the second was this massive study of business leaders and their HR departments. And what the millennial study found, as, as you just mentioned, was that um, around the world, millennials are fairly somewhat pessimistic about their future, and particularly in developed, in developed countries, um, they believe that their life will become they, that they will be less happy and less financially secure than their parents. Now, in, in emerging economies, they're much more optimistic. So, they're, so seventy to seventy-two percent of them say, "I want to contribute to social causes. I want to be. I want to volunteer. I want to do something about the world to make it better." So then, when we go to the corporate folks and we interview them and survey them on all sorts of things, um, you know, they tell us that. Diversity, citizenship, social responsibility is 39% more important this year than it was two years ago when we surveyed them. So, so we really see there's a big, big focus here. And one of the things that's happened on the business side, and you guys I know are you know business analysts too, is corporations have become very networked, um, much less hierarchical, much more collaborative. And the issue of diversity and inclusion in particular is a performance issue now. And we did some some research that's in the report that shows that companies that rate uh, in the top 20% in their inclusive, inclusive workforce practices, in other words, when they hire people, how they promote people, who gets a raise, who gets the special responsibility in the new job, you know, in a highly inclusive way, have 2.3 times higher cash flow, uh, they're more innovative, they have lower turnover, um, there's all sorts of things that are driving people to say this isn't just a nice thing to do because it makes it look makes us look good or it's good for our brand, but it's a performance issue. Um, so, th- so that's the finding. The other finding, though, that I, I think you guys are aware of this is that we think there's a a lot of wishful thinking in companies about diversity and inclusion, and that and what we really named it was a business reality gap because we asked companies do you have an inclusive culture today? And of these 10,000 companies or so, 71% said they do. And then we asked them to describe some of their business practices around diversity and inclusion. Only 11% do. So there's a, so, almost a 60% gap between what people are doing and what they think they're doing mm. in this whole area. So there's a lot of opportunity for 
for work here. So could you unpack that a little bit? So you ask sure. them and they say that they're inclusive, but then you look at the practices and it turns out there's not as much action as there is perception. Exactly. And I think the problem, I mean, what we do, I mean, there's a lot of, it's a much tr- tr- trickier problem, as you guys, you guys know yeah. that, but it's a much trickier problem than people realize. And one of the problems is giving it to HR and expecting HR to impact something that's really a business leadership issue and a management issue um, and a philosophical issue. And so the companies that are effective at this are uh, the CEO is directly taking responsibility. He or she is giving leaders uh, rewards and goals and targets, and they're being held accountable, um, and they're taking action quickly. So the example I like to cite is, is one that came to us directly. Salesforce.com, for example, if you know Mark Benioff, um, identified a gender pay inequity at, at Salesforce. He found that the women in similar roles, similar tenure, similar levels were making 11% less than the men. And he asked the HR to people to verify if this data was true. When he found out about it, he said, okay, well, effective this minute, we're giving all those women an 11% raise. Wow. Um, and that's the kind of behavior that has to take place in a senior level, including holding people accountable, I think, that has to impact us. The other finding you know, I just wanted to mention is we believe that a lot of people think that training is the answer, that if we do unconscious bias training and we have consultants come in and teach classes, you know, that these problems are going to go away. And even though that's not a bad thing to do, and it's very important to educate people on the issues of bias and, and um, you know, discrimination, um, that actually doesn't solve the problem because, you know, some of the bias that we, you know, all exhibit at work is, is part of our personality. It's something we were born with or grew up with. Um, and so we really think companies have to have business processes. They have to have metrics. There is, some, there is software now in the human capital domain that um, identifies biased language in, in job descriptions. It can track interviews to see if people are being biased and who they're letting through the candidate pipeline. Um, there's all sorts of – there's actually – there's now t- technology, for example, that if, you know, a lot of people interview to work in a company using a video you know, online. Mm-hmm. And there's actually software that can look at the video, identify the race and gender of the applicant, and then give the company data on whether, you know, certain groups are not making through the pipeline in a, you know, in a statistical way. So there's a lot of things that are making it easier to manage, but it's still a problem and it's a, still a challenge. And, you know, we're still reading about it in the press, you know, even this Last yes. couple of days. Yeah. So, Josh, you mentioned you know Salesforce as as an example, and it sounded like the CEO led that charge. Who within the corporation, um, where you're seeing success, where is that decision making coming from to say like this is important? Let's be tracking this, and then who's sort of responsible for that? Well, I think the HR. You know, I spend a lot of time with HR people. I think the HR people have to um, make sure they have to do in, in essentially entice the CEO to. You know, make sure that he or she knows that this is an important issue and it is their responsibility, um, and show them the risk and the performance impact of not behaving or, or not acting and taking responsibility for it. But it does it does have to be the CEO because um, mo- the things that impact DNI at least or inclusion are very subtle. Um, who who is promoted, of course, and who gets a raise and who gets hired are the sort of the more si- significant ones. But who's who has the ear of the executive? Who are the people that are, you know, do you have a, an environment where 
everybody can speak up. Um, there's some interesting research that shows that, you know, women are, people interrupt women more often yes. in meetings. I know you guys have probably seen this. I mean, there's a lot of subtle things that happen in the workforce, too. And also, there's and also age discrimination. Young people don't get the voice that they would like. Older people now, I mean, we basically have, we also have in, in Silicon Valley, we have reverse discrimination against older, you know, professionals who can't get back into the workforce. Um, and so, you know, it's a, it's a CEO-level issue, but I think in a lot of companies, HR is sitting here with this job, and they're wondering how to do it. And what we're basically saying is you can't do it yourself. Uh, you're the steward, perhaps, but you have to get the business leaders to take responsibility, and there have to be systems in place to, to help them. Are there, you know, you said there was some software that yeah. that can be helpful, especially on the HR side. We okay when we think about data collection, especially on the nonprofit side, it can get onerous. Is there, you know, if if I'm running a business unit and then I get told like, oh, you've got to be tracking all these other things, is it mm-hmm. onerous for those, you know, lead, business leaders within that unit, or are there kind of efficient ways to do this? Well. You know, it's not easy to get HR data cleaned up. Most companies have kind of a mess. Um, right. And they're, you know, they don't even know how much money they're paying people or, you know, <laughs> the turnover rate. Um, yeah. It's getting better. I mean, one of the things we studied in this report is analytics, and it is a it is a hugely growing area of HR. Um, but it's not, you know, you have to, de- on this particular one, you have to decide you're going to measure it. Right. Um, there's a lot of out-of-the-box software that does this now, though. You know, for example, SAP, which is a really, you know, it's a huge vendor in the HR market and also a leader in diversity and inclusion, has out-of-the-box metrics. And, you know, there's thousands of companies out of SAP. Um, out-of-the-box metrics that will identify, uh, run reports on DNI, all the DNI practices in the talent cycle. Um, but you have to decide, it has to be on your radar screen. But, yeah, it's a challenge, but it's, it's not impossible, and, and a lot of companies measure this. Well, well, and I think that as more evidence shows that there's a, a, you know, at least a a business impact, even in terms of being able to hire and then retain people, then it goes to sort of saying why you would want to go ahead and measure this because it is something that could impact the business in measurable ways. And so... Absolutely. I mean, it impacts impacts retention. It also, you guys know this, I mean, there's a talent pool out there of people that are, you know, not the, you know, particularly same type you might have in the company that might be some of the smartest, most effective, you know, skills that you're not getting. Um, So being more diverse and inclusive in your recruiting a lot of times gets you skills that you just don't even have. Um, So, and that's, and skills... By the way, skills gap was the number two issue in this whole study. I mean, right now with automation and AI and robots and everything else taking over the workforce, people are freaking out about how they're going to build the next generation of skills. And if they're lo- and if the people that know what you need to do at work are in some you know talent pool that isn't in, you know doesn't look like the people you have now, you have to be you know that's that's an opportunity. Well, we really need to get you back on to talk about the skills gap. That's something that we've been. Um, talking about with some of our professors and some other folks, and it's, it's, it's sort of just the future of work. Well, it is the future of work, right? Absolutely. So, so Josh, here in our last couple of minutes, um, this is the fifth, the fifth report, the fifth annual report that you guys right. have done. You know, how have you seen? You said you know inclusion being a big one, skills gap being the number two. What are some of the other issues, and how have like maybe the rankings changed over the time? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. So it's it's called the Deloitte Human Capital Trends. It's it's available on the internet for free. Anybody wants to read it. It's really a massive thing. But so if you just Google um, Human Capital Trends Report Deloitte, you'll probably find it. Yeah, you'll find it. Um, Five years ago, I mean, I've been involved with it for four years. It, It it shifted. I'll tell you, a lot of the issue four or five years ago was about technology and fixing the HR department, and you know the HR department's kind of broken, and HR people don't know their jobs very well. It's actually shifted away from that. It's shifted towards how do we create a network of teams, what we call the organization of the future, and how do we empower people and employees and improve what we call the employee experience. Because over the last five years, as we've come out of the recession, people are now realizing that you know, in order to perform well as a business, we have to innovate faster. We probably have to change our business model to be more digital. We have to empower young people faster. You know, millennials are in their 30s now, so they're they're actually really sure to are. <laughs> are you guys millennials? I <laughs> am. Cheryl is. is not. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of older people in companies. Also, we have people in the boomer age that are you know maybe they should step aside, but they don't want to retire. People are living longer, so there's a lot of workplace environment issues that have become really big and and. And skills is a huge one. The learning and development industry, the corporate learning and development industry, which is a, about a $140 billion industry, is kind of broken right now because mm. people haven't figured out how to do videos and YouTube-type stuff inside the company. And that's, that's a massive amount of transformation that's going on, too. And then the final one that popped out of nowhere is, is career management. Um, we now have, you know, companies used to have a, you know, a 30-year career model. If you hang around here right. for 30 years, you can really have a good career. <laughs> well, you know, you're only, you know, the company doesn't last 30 years, and, and you're, you know, you're not going to be there for more than maybe five. So, you know, in the five to 10 years that you're at this business, that, you know, they need to move you around much more quickly, find more opportunities for you, open the door for you to try things that you may not know how to do yet. Those are challenges for companies, too. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because I think that clearly millennials tend to do four to five, you know, stints, and then they're and then they're out. But I think part of this is also being prepared to train your employees that they might leave. You know, you have to be prepared for that. Well, I, I hope right. that's not a sort of thing that Cheryl has in her mind about being like, <laughs> well, Nick, you're, you're coming up on your tenure. Like, better get out of here. But, uh, Josh, thank you so much. The The report, uh, the Global Human Capital Trends, is it's got a lot of really great information. Thank you so much for joining us. We do need to take a short break, but stay with us. When we get back, we'll be speaking with Chris Grantham, who is a portfolio director at IDEO. Um, we'll be talking about the circular economy. If you want to join the conversation and, and how you can get involved with the circular economy, give us a call at one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. This is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.